We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. So if you uh, didn't pick it up earlier, those Latin words, Kyrie eleison, mean, Lord have mercy. So I started working on this lesson a couple months ago. Uh, I was driving away from an appointment that I'd had with Joe. We'd been talking about the upcoming music that we'd be doing, and he had suggested a song, this song. But he suggested it a little bit apologetically a little bit tentatively, (laughs) because other songs that he had suggested had run into me, Uh, because I would say, ah, 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 can't say that word, ah, 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 can't use that phrase, Uh, that word has history, Uh, that phrase is associated with this or with that, unhelpful meanings, we've been rethinking our story, we can't use words that go cross-grain to that effort, so all the poor guy wants to do is what I asked him to do, which is teach us to be a community who knows how to sing together, create beauty together, create community by creating music, so he suggested this song, Kyrie eleison, which will help us in a first step kind of way start tuning our ears to learning how to do harmony together, which is exactly what I asked him to do, music school, coming to the place where we're not even doing singing together, we're just actually learning how human beings sing together. But he'd run into language policemen before and it wasn't always clear why this was problematic or that was problematic, so understandably tentative, Lord have mercy. Why would language policemen not only say yes to that song, but say yes enthusiastically to Lord have mercy on me? Because it has the word Lord in it. Come on, asymmetric power, patriarchy, probably a hint of misogyny in there somewhere. How, what are you doing saying Lord in church? Now I did tell Joe, (coughs) when we do songs in Latin, we can get away with a lot more. (laughs) Because nobody knows what the word means, which gives us a chance before it goes into a slot in people's heads, we can talk about meaning. And so that's today's lesson. We're going to have an exercise in redeeming language, a redeeming parts of our tradition that have been lost to us because along the way they've lost their meaning. So for many of us, maybe most, the words... Lord have mercy, not that meaningful. Maybe even counter meaningful. Not meaningful maybe because of cultural usage, because Lord have mercy is not unlike bless his heart or bless her heart, which if you're new to the South does not mean blessing upon that person's heart. (laughs) It means what a knucklehead. (laughs) Well, Lord have mercy is kind of like that. It doesn't really mean have mercy upon. It means you are getting on my last nerve. Lord, have mercy. (laughs) So that's not a song we'd sing. But if you look at it a little more deeply, it's also counter-meaningful for many of us because those words, Lord, have mercy, form a prayer. And prayer becomes challenging for a lot of folks. 
implied in the concept of prayer is something like our Father who art in heaven or supreme being existing out there, not here, heaven maybe, watching over, rewarding or punishing, answering or denying prayers. So any prayer, Lord have mercy being one of them, uh, is problematic for lots and lots of folks. When a prayer is that, oh dear Lord, far, far from here, when we pray to that God, many of us have lost that God. Now it turns out, if you look at the whole heritage of the spiritual tradition, ours and others, losing that God, our Father in heaven, is a pretty common part of the spiritual journey. It's actually an integral part of the journey. There's a stage of faith development that you can study if you like that kind of stuff that talks all about that. It's about as normal as reaching puberty. It's very different before that and it's very different after that, just like it is in puberty, but it's a very normal part of the process. But when it happens, prayer, any prayer, has to be radically reimagined. Or, if it isn't, what usually happens is we simply abandon it. We just stop praying. Because if you keep praying without doing the work of that radical reimagination, the practice will lose power that it may have once had for you. It will lose meaning, it will lose some of the function because without the, re, re, the radical reimagining, what prayer often has done for many of us, a connection to something greater than ourselves, even a deeper connection one to another as we pray with one another. Without the reimagining, prayer stops being that. Stops deepening our understanding. It stops providing guidance. Things prayer would have once done without the re radical reimagining, it stops doing. Because we can no longer imagine that God God as an out there somewhere reality, or as a human-shaped being kind of reality. Makes any kind of prayer, not just this one, but any kind of prayer, problematic. Trying to sing Kyrie eleison, Lord, Father, God, way up in heaven. Hear my plea from way down here. And please, please, please give me a little bit of mercy or please, please, please don't smite me becomes really kind of a problematic framework in which we would think about a song or a prayer. Certainly problematic for me. I bet it is for some of you. Well, something distinctive about our community's life has been that we have not taken a path that people commonly take we run into a jangly religious thing. There's the phrase, remember it? <laughs> we run into a jangly religious thing, and what we haven't done is abandon the jangly religious thing. What we've done instead is work through a deconstructing, reconstructing process in which we strip the jangly thing down and down and down and down and down and down until we find the kernel of goodness, there's the other phrase, at the core of the thing, the thing that was there at the beginning of that thing becoming a thing that made it become a thing in the first place. What was the kernel of goodness that was there at the inception of this thing that over time has become tarnished, barnacled, no longer helpful or useful? Then, once we've found the kernel of goodness, we begin to build on that new language, 
new frameworks, new ways of thinking, new practices that will help us access that seminal goodness in a language, in a construct that we now live in. So let's see if we can do that same process that we've done so many times with Lord, have mercy. Probably the most well-known place that the phrase shows up is in a Jesus story. It's kind of a beautiful story because it's kind of a beautiful thing when a human being comes to the end of their ego selves. Anybody who's been in the spiritual life for any length of time knows that when we come to the end of ourselves, that is usually a door into some new point of growth. It's very, very difficult. It's very uncomfortable. It has this stripping away process. It feels so bad. But it actually becomes a door into a point of emergence. Something begins to happen that comes out of a greater awakening to the divine center self that we carry. So it's a beautiful Jesus story. And it's also a little bit confrontive. Because hearing the story that day were some folks who were decidedly not coming to the end of themselves. In fact, their religion and their high degree of performance within their religion was designed to keep them from coming to the end of themselves. They were dead convinced that they had the one and true truth. And they were dead convinced that they were following that one and true truth so vigorously that they knew that they did not need mercy. So in Jesus' story, a religious leader, picture the robes, picture the big hat, the whole thing, this religious leader and a greedy, squinty-eyed crook, the two of them go up to pray. And it's clear in the story that they are both praying to God out there, our Father who art in heaven. But let's suspend that part of the story for a moment because that really wasn't Jesus' point. That's not really the essence of the story. Uh, so big hat guy, he prays a great prayer. He prays a righteous prayer. He has beautiful words. They are very practiced and holy. And it's clear that he knows that he's the holy one. And squinty-eyed greed man, his prayer, not. All he can muster is our song. Lord, have mercy. That's all he's got. Lord, have mercy. Now Jesus knew, telling the story, that everybody who was hearing the story also knew which one of these prayers was the beautiful one. And it wasn't the big hat prayer. Lord, have mercy is beautiful because it is beautiful when a human being comes to the end of ego. When a human being comes to finally see, oh God, I have screwed up again. Oh God, I have been fooling myself. Oh, something is bad, wrong inside of me. I don't know how I missed it. I don't know how I let it get this far. I don't know how I let it get this bad. I don't know why those words came out of my mouth. I don't know why I thought that that was an okay thing to do. I don't know why I think this is an okay way to live. It's a prayer of a human being come to realize I need something I don't have. I need to be somewhere that I don't go. And I need to see something that I don't see. I need mercy. Which again, it's a beautiful moment in a human life. I've been there. I bet you have been there as well. 
we usually stumble backwards into those moments. We usually stumble in our desperate moments to that place into acknowledgement. I need something that I don't have. I need to be somewhere that I don't go. I need to see something that I don't see. We usually stumble in our desperate moments into the prayer of mercy. Now, it's also a very easy place not to go. It's a very easy place for a human life to avoid consistently. Because most of the time, the state of being in which we function is dictated by ego defense responses in our brains. Most of the time, ego is working all day and working all night to not let us go there. Our brains constantly put up self-defense strategies. Our brains constantly put up self-justification thoughts. A perennial favorite is, well, look at you. You're worse. Our brains make us big hat guy. Our brains work overtime to persuade us. I don't need mercy. I am righteous here. So, when a human being finally does get past all of those typical roadblocks, when a human being finally does come, not in some maudlin, self-flagellating way, but in an honest assessment way, when a human being realizes, when a human being acknowledges, ah, I spoke harshly again, because in a very real way, harsh is in me. I let that go. I shouldn't have let it go. But I do that. I let things go that I shouldn't let go. Ah, I burned that bridge. Oh, I hurt that person yet again. Oh, I fell into that same habit. I did it again. I fell into that old coping strategy. I did it again because that thing is in me. I need mercy. It's a beautiful prayer. It's the end of a version of self. A version of self that needs to come to an end anyway. So it's a beautiful prayer. The problem is, it's a prayer. And for many, that means God in heaven. And for many, that means God looking down, moving the chess pieces on the board. And when we can no longer think that way anymore, it becomes very problematic just because it is a prayer. We are, every one of us, carriers of divine breath. I made Miles repeat it this morning. <laughs> Here's why we say those words every time we gather. In our very first story, the first one to show up in our book, our cosmological myth, it's called, there we are, us, human beings, a lump of stardust, the elements of the earth, dirt, clay, mud, dust, but then the story goes, breath of God breathed into us. <clears throat> and when that happens, life. When that happens, we are animated. We come to be. The thing that brings us to be is breath of God. Now the word breath in both of the ancient languages of our holy book is the same word as spirit. Breath and spirit, synonymous, mean the same thing. Now again, none of us, no one, has any idea what God is. 
But whatever God is, the very essence of it is in us. It animates us. It defines us. So, it's a beautiful cosmological myth. It tells us what to look for. It tells us where to look. Look within, it tells us, because you should keep looking underneath all of that stardust, underneath all of that dirt. You're going to find God's Spirit. It is within. It's a, it's a myth that points us in a direction. It says, don't so much look for God out there. Don't go to the mountaintop. Don't go to the guru. Get quiet. Get still. Listen within. And when you find that divine center, you will find light and you will find life. You will find truth and you will find beauty because ultimacy is in us. Divinity is in us. Our ancient story tells us that ultimate mystery, it's inside of us. Divine breath, divine spirit is inside of us. Now, if you've been around Common Thread for a while, you've heard that. Uh, it's been a core principle since the beginning of our time together. And since it has, many of us have absorbed that into our thinking. If that's the case, then a quick caveat. Human, brain, being, human, brains, <coughs> human brains are hardwired to do comparison and contrast. It's actually a survival strategy. It's how we recognize that a tiger's dangerous and a dog isn't. So with this algorithm just running in our brains, we can't but compare and contrast. So start down this pathway. It's a healthy pathway of reimagining the divine as within instead of without. And our brains do just start comparing us to others. Oh, those other people who still think of God out there in heaven. So backward, I roll. Not advanced like me, disdain. <laughs> Thank God that I am not like those other people, me, here praying my pointy hat prayer. Because <laughs> I have found a better way to imagine what cannot be imagined. Which I hope sounds really silly to you. <laughs> Because you can't do better or worse at imagining the unimaginable. You can't do better or worse at speaking the unspeakable or describing the indescribable. So let's not do that. <laughs> because it turns out describing the indescribable was never really the point anyway. The point has never been about defining God or creating doctrines about God, or telling people that God is like this and not like that. That's not been the point. The point has been to experience, to experience the divine. For thousands and thousands of years, people in the spiritual life have told us, you can't define God, but you can experience God. You can be changed. You can be awakened. You can be transformed. You can touch the untouchable and taste the untastable. And that is the point. So if imagining God as a father in heaven deepens your experience and changes and awakens and transforms, do that. Goodness, all of us have done that at some point on the journey. 
But if that stops working, there is also a long tradition, other ways to imagine the divine. So let's not look down on or look up to anybody who is trying to describe the indescribable, who are trying to talk about what cannot be talked about. All right, caveat done. Back to Lord have mercy. Here's the consistent testimony of those who have gone before us in the spiritual life. Whatever the divine is, we can't pin it down. We know that. Whatever that animating spirit is that we carry within us, when we experience it, mercy is part of the deal. Whatever the mystery of the deepest center of our being is, mystery is to it as wet is to water. Mercy is intrinsic to the experience of the divine. Mercy isn't dispensed to us in doses from a being outside of us. Mercy is like getting wet. We just get in. Wet is part of the deal. It's like waking up when we've been sleeping. We were always there, but now we're just aware that we are there. Mercy isn't a get some of it kind of thing. It's a just is kind of thing. It's a oh, I see kind of thing, which is a long and storied part of our tradition. So let's see if drawing from that long and storied part of our tradition, we can imagine a prayer, any prayer, but for today, a Lord have mercy prayer. Maybe we can imagine it something like this. We finally allow ourselves to let down the ego defenses to the place where we realize something is missing in me. There is a deficit of love or joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Some deficit of wisdom or truth or beauty or life. Maybe it's an unhealthy dependence on pleasing other people or an unhealthy dependence on dominating other people. Maybe my inner critic roughs me up so consistently to try and keep me behaving and walking on the straight and narrow. Or maybe I have a hard time not letting people run over my boundaries. There's some unhealthy dependence on some strategy that I picked up as a child, maybe because of personality, maybe family of origin, maybe religion, maybe peers. But because this thing is running like a program inside of my head, inside of my guts. Something is missing in me. And Lord knows I've tried. Lord knows I've knuckled down. <laughs> I'm going to cough for a minute. <clears throat> no, nah, water's not going to help. But what I do need is... Uh, yeah, I don't need that. It'll take too long to do it. Plus, I just lost my place. So let me just uh, let me just hack and cough for a moment here. <laughs> hey Doug, if your ego strategy of control is really triggering you right now, just Lord have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> too bad you people online can't hear <laughs> the snarky remarks being made in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, have mercy. 
<clears throat> what was the last thing I said? I'm getting close to it. What was the last thing I said? Hmm? Pardon? No? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Okay. All right, something's missing. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. Yeah, okay, here we go. All right. So, <coughs> there we go. I finally got it. So here's this thing. Now, I've tried this strategy. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to overcome this thing. I have done the knuckling down. I have done it again and I've done it again. And every time I've done it, I thought this time, this time, this time I'm going to do it. But most of us, if we have enough this times, we somehow come to the place of allowing it to happen that we let the ego strategy begin to die. Because if it was going to work, it would have worked. Thank you so much. If it was going to work, it would have worked by now. And if it hasn't worked by now, good Lord, maybe it's not going to work. And finally, we come to the place where we are ready for this prayer. We finally come to a place where I say, I need something I don't have. I need to go somewhere that I don't tend to go. I need to see something that I don't tend to see. And if we allow ourselves to go there, this is the prayer for us. I need mercy. And if we do get to that point, if we get to that place, here's what Jesus said in that story a long time ago. That'll do, donkey. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> One of the things that centering prayer taught us, has taught us, and by the way, I hope I saw all of you coming in this morning for Centering Prayer. I'm so glad we're doing that. I hope that's the first of many things we do. It's an important prayer practice. One of the things that Centering Prayer has taught us is that it's not about the sacred word that we say as we breathe. It's not about the image that we hold on to as we breathe. It's not even about the breathing. It's not about the sitting. It's not about the returning to when our thoughts wander. It's not about all of the things that we do. It's not about the forms that we follow. What it is about is consent. Centering prayer is a practice in consent. We consent to a reality that is bigger than ourselves. We say yes to a reality that is deeper than ego. The sitting is consent. The breathing is consent. The sacred word, the sacred image, the form, the practice is consent. We acknowledge our need for something deeper than ego self and we consent to that deeper reality, which is in essence this prayer. I need something deeper. I need something I'm missing. I need mercy. As long as I keep doing what ego does, I'm going to keep getting what ego has been getting me. And in essence, I deserve that. I deserve this lack I feel because I've been putting in my quarters and I've been getting out my vending machine. This is what happens when I follow this ego self. But I now realize I need more. Mercy something I don't deserve, something that I can find from that deeper place within. So a prayer of mercy then 
is a prayer of yes. It's a prayer of yes to the process that will slowly chip away at my ego defense strategies, to my, yeah, but look at you, your worst strategies, to all of those things that I kick up in order to think I don't need mercy. Allowing ego self to fade and allowing divine center self to begin to emerge. So that makes centering prayer. It makes the Kyrie eleison prayer. In fact, it makes every prayer a prayer of consent. Consent to that animating presence that is the deepest part of us. Consent to awakening to that. Have mercy is a prayer of yes. It's a prayer of consent. So in Dwelling Divine, this prayer is a prayer that our brains work double time to keep us from praying. So may we come to the end of our ego selves as quickly as we can. May we consent to the animating breath we carry within, the animating spirit of the divine that is within us at the very center of who we are. Amen. Well, if you would, get out your phones yet again and point yet at that funny little box. Because we all give online now. Um, and <clears throat> remember, as we say every week, uh, first of all, there is so much good stuff happening in our community. And I, I'm watching it. I'm watching the things that have to be done. And people are saying, oh, yeah, but we better not do that because that costs money. And I am saying to them, hey, look, people, we have money. <laughs> that has not always been the case, but we have money. And the reason we have money is because you have been generous. So I want to thank you for loving our community, caring for our community. I want to thank you for remembering what I say all the time. There is good return when we invest in community. Because we give our love, and we give our time, and we give our energy, and we give our dollars. Then the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in a form of an environment in which we thrive, in which we flourish. So we all give on our website now. Uh, at the donate button is at the top. So thank you very much. So, <coughs> these are the questions. We s said them before the lesson started. Uh, what we didn't say is that we're going to dismiss those of you who are online right now. And in the room, we're going to have the discussion about those questions. But while we're doing that, uh, people who don't know each other have been for months and months now showing up pretty steadily and pretty consistently on the Zoom. And by just being there 15 to 20 minutes, what has been happening is they have started to become dear to one another. And that happens. Uh, who knew that people from Charleston and from Asheville and from Tampa and from far-flung cities all across uh, our country could come together and New Zealand, by the way, and uh, California and uh, UK and people becoming dear to one another. I, we did not know before the pandemic that authentic community could happen online, but turns out it can. But here's what those people all did. They overcame the resistance that you might be feeling right now because, oh, I'd have to click the click. <laughs> oh, I don't know what to expect, and I don't like places where I don't know what to expect. Oh, I'd have to be consistent and show up again. It's like a commitment, or they might be mean to me. I promise they won't, but oh, they might be mean to me. And so 
my invitation is to push against the resistance and this is one of those risk reward situations if you will risk it and if you will be steady and consistent over time the reward is the building of community on the spiritual journey so i hope you'll click on it the links in the youtube notes it's also on the front page of our website and get ready here's the password the password is 1417 1417 hope you'll join let's dismiss the folks online I guess I'll stand back here. (laughs) Let's dismiss the folks online. If you would, please put your hand on your heart and let's remember that we are, every one of us, carriers of divine spirit. We are, every one of us, carriers of that which is within that reflects the great mystery, the great unknowable unknown. It's in us, which means the fruit of that spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It is wisdom and truth and goodness. It is mercy. That's in us. So if you would extend your other hand to our city this week, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.